1: This is Computer Talk with Tab, hosted by Eric Semmel of Tab Computer Systems. Interact with Eric and his guest by phone at 522-WTIC. Email them in the studio at gethelpattabinc.com or get help anytime at computertalkwithtab.com. Now, here's Eric.
2: And good morning. This is Computer Talk with Tab. I am Eric. And I'm Dennis. And that's Dennis Halnon, one of the employee owners at Tab. He comes in and helps me out with your computer problems, comments, questions, and concerns. And on the line, we have our favorite geek, Wes Bryan, from IT Pro T V. You there, Wes? I
3: am, Eric. Good morning, Eric. Good morning, Dennis. And, uh, well, good hey. morning, uh, New England.
2: Yes, sir. Hey, Wes. How's that?
3: How are you doing today?
2: Eh, not too bad, I guess. I mean, it's a typical morning in New England. It's hot and sticky yeah. and muggy.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We definitely have a little bit of that here uh, down in the sand pile for sure. Sandpile. <laughs> uh, sand pile. <laughs> <laughs> I've been listening to you uh, you all this morning. I, I tune in, believe it or not. I stalk you all in the background. And uh, I have to tell you, you know, I really love what you guys are doing for the community. And I agree with the last gentleman you talked to. We really need geeks in the industry. So how's everything going,
2: everybody? Yeah, everything's going good. We appreciate you listening in there. And let's get some more geeks. And, and what Jeff is doing is important. Actually, you brought up Jeff, so we'll bring up something that somebody reached out to us about.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, on Facebook, a commenter mentioned that Ah, uh, the VA has uh, people that can help with resumes. Yeah. So, Jeff, if you are still listening, call up the VA and uh, they they should be able to help you with that resume.
3: Yeah, definitely, and there's other there's other training out there because I've helped train vets too. There's the uh, 8570. Uh, uh, so check out that there's there might even be a way that they can help get training and stuff. So uh, very good, definitely something to look into.
2: Now, today, we're talking about network fundamentals a bit. You're working on a course you had mentioned, and uh, we can talk about all the ways that companies and people can get connected to a network or the network or however you want to put it.
3: Oh, definitely. Yeah, we've been, uh, so What? Uh, what? one of the things that I wanted to do is I want to kind of strip off some of the certifications for this, and there's anybody that wants to uh, just kind of learn, uh, maybe you don't want to go for a certification, but you want to have knowledge, you want to be able to have that conversation. So uh, we're basically starting from the local area networks, working our way right to the demarcate, uh, demarcation point, and then we're talking about, um, this week, like, you know, we've been talking about things like WAN links. Uh, so, you know, how it's a little bit different. Uh, when we talk about connecting our lands. we're typically talking about Ethernet, but when we're talking right. about connecting to the ISP's networks, uh, we definitely have some uh, uh, considerably different technologies that require translation, and I'm sure you're uh, aware of a lot of them. Even though some of them have kind of gone by the wayside, some of them still do exist, uh, whether right. it's over traditional PSTN lines or we're talking about fa- uh, faster networks like uh, things like synchronous optical networking or SONET, mm-hmm. uh, signal. Uh, what is it? Uh, synchronous digital hierarchy, as it's called in the UK.
2: Yeah, we've we've got to an interesting one where we we picked up an account that had over a hundred seats, and they had been running on a public s- scheme. So all of those hundred seats were in a public IP scheme in order for them to get to the internet. Um, and of course, we had to re-IP them, which was painful and still going on. Um, but they they have been running that way forever because nobody wanted all the private IT companies didn't want to touch it with a ten foot pole, and uh, it was it's a mess, right? You had to we had to reconfigure every device to not be on this public IP scheme, and they're only on the public IP scheme out of the goodness of the heart of a third party who happened to buy the, the IP range as part of a sale of a company. I mean, they literally were twenty minutes away from having all their systems turned off, right? Because that IP scheme is public and it could be given up at any time. They didn't own it. Um, oh, yeah. and so this type of stuff can get kind of messy if nobody takes care of it, you know. You mentioned maybe you didn't mention, but MPLS uh was pretty mm-hmm. popular. SD-WAN yeah. is something that's out there that's coming along as being even more popular. Um do you guys get into the nitty-gritty of talking about this type of stuff in your training?
3: Uh we, we yeah, we do. Uh, definitely in the more of the certification trainings uh where you have to learn a little bit more about, you know, MPLS and how it, uh, it determines the shortest path first, you know, based on labels. Versus things like TCP IP routing. You know, we talk about it. Um, where does it sit in the network stack? You know, it's kind of considered one of those 2.5. Uh, if you're looking at the data link layer, right, it sits in the, a little bit above the data link layer, a little bit be, uh, below the uh, network layer. Very versatile. in the fact that, uh, you know, we, we look at the name. I always tell the people that are learning about the acronyms that, hey, yeah, it is alphabet soup. But if you can break down the acronyms and just kind of think about what the acronym is saying, it's multi protocol. And that's one of the best things about it, is the fact that. It's so versatile in the fact that you, you can have all of these different higher level protocols uh, that uh, can be transported across it. it's kind of an you know agnostic. One of the questions I'd ask you is uh, do you all still see things like for instance our T carrier lines, do you also still see people using uh, fractional lines uh, today in today's day and age? Uh,
0: fractional T's are uh, pretty rare. Uh, I can't recall coming across one since I've been working at dab. Yeah, but I'm sure there's probably somebody there that's got that. There are PR, I think so.
2: There are PRIs that are out there, which is also kind oh, of a fractional yeah. T. I, you know, they could even be synonymous. They, I think there is a little bit of a difference between the two. Um, yeah, that definitely,
3: do. and for our listeners out there, you know the the people that want to be the geeks, just you know, when we talk about wavelengths traditionally going all the way back to the '60s. Uh, you know, it's been channelized architecture, and it usually goes across, um, compared to something known as uh, the DS signals, digital signal hierarchy, and, you know, depending on how much uh, bandwidth you need is is what you're going to pay for, and it's interesting because it's not a shared bandwidth, right? It's not like uh, we talk about at residential or, or even even small business, uh, where you're on a shared network. When we talk about these dedicated lease lines, you know, we're talking about, Uh, For those that still still remember landlines, you know it's like it's like dialing long distance when that still used to be a thing that you had to consider and leaving that phone off the hook the entire time you have that line. Mm -hmm. Uh, But just knowing that the digital, you know, the digital signal hierarchy, the way the channelized architecture works, typically broken down into 64 kilobyte chunks, still does exist today. Like you said, the aggregate of uh, 23 of those lines being a PRI uh, PRI line today. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, we've been teaching things like, for instance, you know, what, 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 is, what is a ring network? Mm. Because uh, in local area networks, we don't see mm-hmm. ring networks anymore.
4: No. You know, no. I
3: mean, I think the last ones we were having a fiber distributed data interface, nobody wants to set those up anymore because not mm. only are they obsolete, they're extremely expensive. But right. we still have ring networks when we talk about local collector rings and, uh, you know, the, the high-speed backbone rings of Sonnet and uh, it being a self, self-healing fiber optic Technology. We're teaching things like optical carriers and, you know, how that is still, it's still all that channelized architecture. And even though things like ATM and frame relay have kind of gone by the wayside, those standards still do exist. And it's still something that you see when it comes into the DMARC, you know, that if it's a commercial DMARC that like AT&T comes in and installs themselves and connects you to your, your single fiber optic line, you can still see on the back of those D marks those DS signals. so it's still that part of it's still relevant today and it's one of the reasons I teach it. I do teach a little bit of the history uh, but we go we go quickly through the history of the stuff that doesn't really uh, isn't applicable today.
2: right so what, what I think you've just talked about Wes, because uh, you're pretty geeky even for me um, is channelizing fiber because it is true I th- I th- just because you have a big fiber connection, they do segment it and channelize it. When you mm-hmm. when you're connected, so don't think you're on this one piece of fiber is covering everything. They actually split it out, right? Mm-hmm. In, into these, in, into the same concepts that they used to split out copper, is what you kind of mm-hmm. just said, which was the mm-hmm. old yeah. T, the T ones, and and that's kind of an interesting thing that they do. I would never have guessed that, except for the fact that I've been talking to Net Go Net Speed. Yeah, well, yeah. Tom was here and he was talking about exactly that. Yeah, yeah. And, and it blew my mind. Right? I never would have well, thought I, that you're splitting up fiber. I figured it was one fiber. Th- <laughs> cable and they're not even using to send and receive anymore it's one single cable that goes both ways which is also very interesting yeah
3: because um, they you know they, they they utilize different uh wavelengths right the different nanometers depending on you know what they're doing it's going to be a higher level nanometer i believe it's um I want to say it's thirteen, ten and above. And you've got some that are fifteen fifty if I remember right. I might have my numbers swept slightly off, but those are the single mode fibers, the ones that uh span seventy kilometers and they right. use it depending on how much money they want to spend, um, they can use something known as dense wavelength multiplexing, or they can use coarse wavelength uh, multiplexing. And that's uh, you know, the basic concepts of multiplexing mux demux like we've you know, we've heard about throughout the years still applies and it just they're applying it to different wavelengths to be able to use a single, like you said, a single copper line and multiplex, right? Take multiple link sources and, uh, you know, combine them into a single signal and send them over that single cable. And then on the other end, when it's coming off of their local collector rings, they do the demux, the de-multiplexing, and it splits the signal and sends the individual links to the appropriate uh, subscribers. So very, very cool technology, and uh, it's interesting to see that, you know, is. As much as many, many, many things change in networking, some of the basic concepts still are applicable today.
2: And that's the good thing, right? Yeah. If you think about it, there's a lot of older folks that are dealing with trying to change into fiber where they should be heading, right? And um, understanding those differences being the same, I'm not even sure how does it. Do you know if it works the same way in wireless? Are those signals, I mean, it's all it's all megahertz and, and kilohertz and what have you. Is that same transmission of signals separated by the frequencies?
3: Uh, yeah, well, you know, in, in the wireless networks, uh, it's interesting because the media access method is a wait in line me- uh, method, right? So in our local area networks, when we're using Ethernet, we're using uh, something known you know, known as carrier sense multiple or uh, yeah multiple access collision detection. So we the devices just send their signals kind of like a free for all, and they try to detect collisions. Well, with uh, 802.11, which is the IEEE standard for wireless local area networks that uses something known as again, same first four letters, carrier yeah. sense, multiple access, but collision avoidance. So, big technical jargon is that every wireless client that's communicating across the wireless network has to wait in line. One of the great things that they've done is as they progress. well, it really started back in 2009 with uh, 802.11n, and they've just been, you know, just um, innovating ever since. But when uh, back in 2009, when 802.11n came in, they implemented something known as a multiple in, multiple out, and to help right. uh, speed up that wait in line rather than having a single person, you know, doing driver's license at the DMV, (laughs) if that was a single antenna, what they figured is that, hey, they can have four antennas and do what's known as spatial streaming uh, and they can serve more than one customer basically using ins and outs of, uh, you know, input, output of each antenna. And it's kind of like going to the DMV and now they have four people helping to, you know, take care of that line. So while it's still a wait-in-line method, uh, the bandwidth is... um, you know being we're able to increase the bandwidth and then you get into something known as multi-user <laughs> multiple input output uh, and it just uh, it increases the, it increases uh, the the adaptive antennas beam forming and everything and that's just because we're seeing lots and lots of volume that is traversing wireless networks today in fact 80211ax uh, uh, is actually um, uh, standing out of the, uh, what is it, the UNII, the Unlicensed National infrastructure Information Infrastructure Band. Okay. And what they're doing is they've actually opened up the 6 gigahertz spectrum too. So you can see, hmm. again, back, back in uh, 2009 when we started really uh, moving out of the ISM band, the 2.4 gigahertz network, and the 5 gigahertz network. Uh, it was because it was relatively unsaturated. Right. Well, that was in twenty. That was in two thousand nine. You know, so we're here. here we are. You know, uh, more than a decade past that, uh, and now we're starting to heavily saturate even the five gigahertz network. But the cool thing about the five gigahertz network, and I got to just share this real quick, is that in the five gigahertz network, one of the things that these brilliant engineers did is uh, came up with a technology called DFS called dynamic frequency selection and it's really cool because any technology that's using that band including your wireless access points if you're next to an airport and your access point detects that a radar system is using one of the channels in that band it will dynamically frequency hop to another sele- uh, to another channel to stay to stay away from interfering with things like radar so a lot a lot of great technologies but uh, the main thing here is um, how do we put so much information over a wireless communication right. and not make it feel like we're, we have the single person at the DMV, to, you know, taking right. care of everybody?
2: And then, so you, well, I have meant the question in a wide area network question, but you took it in the, in the local area network side of things, which is fine. That Everything you said was extremely interesting to me. I thought it yeah. was cool. Yeah, um, <laughs> definitely. What we what we are literally seeing is that clients are considering business-grade wireless cellular wireless. And I was curious if the cellular wireless worked on the same you know, channelized ideas as the fiber you mentioned, but it probably works the same as the internal Wi-Fi networks that you just described. They're probably using, again, multiple antennas to handle the the, it's probably still a wait uh, type of approach, um, or, or do you know anything different about that? Because ma- these businesses are literally considering, like a T-Mobile business grade wireless connection to support fifty users in their office, which is, which is interesting. Um,
3: oh, absolutely. Uh, well, LTE forms the basis for our five G technologies, and LTE right. actually. It was the one that um, uh, kind of won out in competing technologies versus something known as WiMAX, the Wireless Interoperability for Microwave Access. And that was a, metro, <laughs> a wireless metropolitan-type communication te- uh, technology. But right. uh, like any wireless technology, it has limitations. Me yeah. uh, being on a cellular network, uh, you know, had obviously had that greater range. And that was another thing that we were talking about this last week. Uh, was wireless wide area networks and the fact that we can use 4G and 5G communications now and you're no longer tethered, uh, you know, to your local area networks. And another thing is you don't really have to hop on the, the kind of sketchy uh, Wi-Fi at a hotel. Right. Uh, so it, it gives you that mobility and There's definitely the bandwidth. I mean, we're we're seeing things like Ethernet today where they're working on committees right now are working on 400G Ethernet. So now you're seeing some of those technologies that traditionally were used in the the LAN technology due to its limitations uh, that we're starting to see, you know, that breach into where the speeds can keep up even over a wide area network.
2: Very cool stuff, Wes. As always, and believe it or not, we've come through our total of our segment here. But if you want to, <laughs> if you want to watch Wes do what he just did, um, and he does it as his day job, uh, IT Pro TV—they uh, do a great job training people to become geeks or just to understand the technology. You don't have to become a geek, although we need you to be. Um, if you go to Computertalkwithtab.com and go to our links there, you'll see a link to IT Pro TV. It's thirty percent off, and you can decide to get certified in something or just connect to some of the courses that they have out there, and you will definitely run into Wes uh, talking about something. And uh, you'll get a better understanding for the underlying technology. And they do a really good job of explaining, and they have some great labs, too, uh, that you can then take to see if you want to apply that knowledge and maybe get certified. So, Wes, as always, uh, you've filled our heads with all sorts of things and have made our hair hurt. Um, I was say alphabet,
3: soup, <laughs> al- alphabet soup, man! But uh, no, I just like to say thank you, you know, to you guys. You guys just do an amazing job. where whether you know, it's the clients that you support. Or, again, I've been stalking you. I listen to you all, whether I'm on the radio or not, just the people in your area that uh, you support as well. So uh, I really appreciate it, likewise.
2: Yeah, we'll check in with you again next month uh, for a topic, and uh, you know, we'll see you soon.
3: Absolutely. Sounds great, everybody there out in the New England area. You all have a great weekend.
2: All right, take it easy. We'll be right back. And we are back. This is Computer Talk. I'm Eric. And I'm Dennis. We're here till 11 o'clock. Get online, eight six zero five two two nine eight four two, And I'm serious about Wes. He knows what he's talking about, as you can tell. And he does a good job explaining it um, to everybody. So let's get right back to your calls. And uh, we're going to go to Ken in Thomaston next. What's going on, Ken?
5: Hey, how are you? Good, Thank sir. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. I have a WD my Cloud, hmm. which is on the verge of collapse
4: yes okay
5: it connects and it runs for a little bit and then the light goes off in the front and then i can't see the drive anymore yep and so i thought that i lost everything and then i try it two or three times then finally it got to connect where i was able to see it i think i need to transfer whatever the heck is onto it, onto another one of them yeah just wasn't sure what you recommend
2: i would recommend two approaches get an external so the My Cloud, as far as I'm concerned, is a backup of your data. But I got a feeling right. in your case, it's a primary storage of your data, right?
5: No, no, it's not a backup.
2: It, it is a backup. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Sorry. So, the, the criticality has just dropped tremendously.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what it is? It's just that I do not know whether or not I still have all of this stuff in right. that computer. You know it's a backup of stuff that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: No, yeah. well, fair enough. But at least the primary—it's not your primary source, so you're not no, freaking out. No. Um, right. An easy way to take care of that would be to plug a hard drive into it as a USB drive and just copy it from the NAS over to that USB drive, copy the data from within the tool, if you can get it to stay awake long enough.
0: Right. Yeah,
5: There's uh, on the back, there is a Ethernet connection oh. and a, a, SS.
0: a USB that's plug. Yeah, that's USB. a super speed USB plug. Super speed. That's what it stands for. So what has
2: to happen is you go out and get a drive that's big enough to cover that NAS. And you have to, I think, log into the
0: NAS, though. Yes.
2: And tell it to copy the data.
0: Yeah. And it may have to format the drive for whatever uh, file system that it wants to use. And from there, you should be able to tell it to copy.
5: When you say and when you say a drive, you're talking about another thing like this
2: one. Nope, I'm nope, not. So, you, t- do you have a time? Do you have a time? Ken, to say, hang on a little bit. We came up against the bottom of the hour real quick. Yep. All right, yep. we'll hold on. We're going to put you on hold and we'll t- cover this a little more because it's kind of important. We're going to be here till eleven o'clock. Feel free to get online. Everything we talk about is posted over at ComputerTalkWithTab.com. It's the, name of the show.com, which also works. And you got Mike G posting it over to Facebook. And he's got posting it on Twitter, a tab, Computer sys if you want to get it there. So plenty of ways to get the news that we talked about in the link. So you don't have to remember them. We'll be right back. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively
1: looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
0: You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela,
3: the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port Chicago, Illinois.
2: And we are back. Let's get right to uh, Ken out there in Thomaston. He was talking about his dying Naz. You still there, Ken?
5: Yes, I am.
2: All right. So, Dennis had some theories, because of we, we deal with these types of NASs often, and uh, we were talking about having an external hard drive added to the NAS, and there's reasons why.
0: Right. Um, and with those Western digital drives, um, the NAS drives, uh, the light status is very often connected with uh, the Ethernet status. Mm-hmm. So, if yep. there's something going on with the Ethernet controller um, that's causing it to fail, then the light may go out. But that doesn't mean that the drive is off. So if you're able to plug just a normal external USB drive, not a NAS drive, but just a plain USB external drive into the back of it. And then from the interface of the NAS, set up the copy to copy from the original drive to the new one. You should be able to get that started. And even if that light goes out later. That copy operation may still continue. Mm-hmm. I can't. Oh, I can't yeah. promise that it absolutely will. I just think that there's a chance it sh- it could, and it's worth oh. trying.
5: All right, so I'm buying a new external drive. Mm-hmm. Right, but
0: not PC. a NAS drive, just a plain right, old not USB. A NAS USB. Drive. Yep. Right.
5: Connect it to my uh, PC. With nope, the not
0: PC. the PC. Connect it to in, to the back of the NAS drive remember that SS slot that you saw yeah yeah you're gonna plug it into that
5: all right now, now this is I'm um, an external hard drive that has a USB out connection
4: mm-hmm, is, mm-hmm.
5: That, is that most of the the little drives that I've seen external drives are those little SSD ones we're not talking about one of
2: those as long as it has the capacity you need.
0: Yeah, if it if it has if it has the same capacity as the original NAS drive or bigger, I've got or a bigger.
2: Couple, but they don't
5: have a they don't have a USB port on.
0: You could convert them.
2: You can sure. go. You can go and buy a USB adapter to convert whatever drive you have to, into an oh. external USB or a drive
0: oh. enclosure.
5: Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, okay. Yep. So all right, and I, yeah, I was thinking because so I have to, and then. Um,
0: then what you would do is you'd get into the interface for the NAS right. log and in. log into it. Right. And it should tell you that you now have another drive connected, and it may right. even give you a wizard to ask you what you want to do with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And once you've gotten it set up, then from inside of that, inside the interface, you should be able to set up a copy operation okay. All
5: right. uh, from one to the other. With that. One other question. I also have an I, I Omega, drive. Mm-hmm. There's a one. There's I Omega one on it.
0: I yeah. One. Okay. That's old. Yeah, yeah. They they were a they were a big vendor of those things. What in the nineties? Nineties. Yeah. Yeah.
5: Okay. So I was going to say I couldn't tell even how old it was, when I lost the power cable. I didn't know if it was worth even trying to.
0: Well,
2: if you work. got if you got the next great novel on it, and you want to figure it out, yes.
5: Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I don't. I. I didn't know if you could take it apart. If that drive could be accessed normally, probably not,
2: right? Normally is a strong, strong word. I Omega, right. what is going
0: to? I don't remember how it interfaced, but they, they were discs, right? Well, they they made a whole line of stuff. You're thinking of those uh, high capacity diskette drives those that they purple used to I make. Omega. Is a little purple or diskette? zip drives? No, or yeah. Whatever uh, they this, called this, them.
5: This, this is the square white one.
2: All right, square. It's square. White.
5: It's white. It looks a little bit like that. The, uh, yeah. The My cloud WD drive, hmm. but uh, instead of being rectangular like the little book, this is square, hmm. white top, it says I, I Omega. Yeah, and I couldn't remember where I got it from, and I didn't know what I backed up on it. But then I lost the power cable, and of course, right, you know, they're all so okay. And then one more question yeah. um, that is, if I do have some old um, drives that I've taken out of other PCs. Mm-hmm. I saved for some reason. Yeah. i unsure what the heck was on them. Right. Uh, I can get an enclosure, normally get an enclosure to try to connect those to a PC to access them. Yep. Even if they haven't been run in a while. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Then you'd recommend what kind of enclosure? It
2: depends on the drive. Um, right? You have, if you have an old... IDE ID drive. IDE, right. Uh, so if you have an old IDE ribbon-style drive, It may not. there may not be that many enclosures that adapt IDEs to USB what, and what
0: power them. The... Uh The magic bullet um, search that you're going to perform is for PATA Drive, capital P as in Peter, A-T-A, not SATA with Sam, A-T-A. Right. That's old school stuff. But you should still be able to find them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're around. You just have to be very clear as to what you're getting. Uh,
5: Yeah, the iOmega drive, I had it for so long. I just noticed they never took the plastic off of the outside.
0: Yeah, you start taking it apart, it's probably gonna not work again. And yeah, that o- again. that I Omega One may be a NAS drive. Yeah, you're looking it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was. Uh, so there's there's some of them, on them on that I on see on eBay. Jeez. So yeah. you could probably get the power adapter you, for if it. If you if you can get power into it, uh, you should be able to get it going.
5: It only has three USB ports, and then it has a. Um, Ethernet. It has one of those like printer ports on the back, you know, um, the square connector. Uh, like weird. you do connect a...
2: Oh, a, a thick connector. one of the printer, one of the... Uh, yeah, one
5: of those. I don't know what they it call was,
2: Uh It would interface you know the printer on the other side of the printer versus the USB yeah, side. Yeah, I'm yeah. not even sure what the interface is called. Centronics? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, he's talking thing. about a little square one. I think uh, it's like
5: not the same the- USBs signal on there you know the right. symbol it's a, a so. it's a
2: special style of cable probably proprietary yeah. too could be
5: hmm. yeah it could have and lost everything on it so, except the drive So
2: talk about some old okay. stuff man
5: <laughs> yeah I appreciate that and one last recommendation for yeah. anybody out there that's got like thousands of pictures like I do mm. gathered over different PCs and such um, file duplication or like a, you know photos that are duplicated four different times right Recommend any software these days to try
2: to to deduplicate to deduplicate? Yeah. There probably is software out there to dedupe the same named files, um, uh, but if you've taken rapid shots, like sixteen rapid shots of a sports move, they're all different file names. Um, yeah. But there's probably dedupe software out there. We could look it up. Carmen's listening um, down there in Florida. One of our digital camera guys, maybe he knows of dedupe software for cam- for file organization. He's on our Facebook live chat right now maybe he'll post something out there for us as well that we can share.
5: I appreciate that, yeah, because you end up with a whole bunch of things and the images are the same. So. Yep. At the
2: same file name, there, sh- there should be some deduping we can do. Actually, TJ, the owner of the company, used to wrote a program for Novell Servers. Called Netclean, I think it was Netclean. I always forget the name. Yeah, I it. remember. I remember him talking about that way back when, when Novell servers would run out of server space because a two a two gig a two not even two gig two megabit driver, or something like that was very very expensive. So cleaning space, he actually wrote a program that would dedupe and clean up Novell servers. Um, way back and in the
5: day. And duplicate file names. That was, yep, de- looking for I'm duplicate looking files. looking for duplicate images.
2: That's the snag. So, yeah. yeah. You know, those, those pixels, I'm not sure there's software out there that can look at the pixels and say, oh, yeah, these are exactly the same pixels in the exact same place. That might be tough, but we'll see what Kramer comes up with. If anybody can, he would. righty. Thank you very much. You got it, Ken. Bye. Bye. All right. Um, all right. Your data and your backup is really important. So those Western digital drives, uh, when they went out of support, by the way, there was a big issue with them in that there, there became a, a snag in that the bad guys could remote wipe them. There was a known vulnerability that Western Digital said, yeah, we knew about it, but they're out of support. What do you want us to do? <laughs> <laughs> that was their approach. And the bad guys could then find these WD drives on the, internet, on the networks of your home and delete them all just for fun. Um, so here's the, here's the moral of the story. When you're using EOL, end-of-life hardware, we're, don't shoot us the messengers here. We are not the ones that set these dates. that These manufacturers do. If you continue to use end-of-life hardware, don't cry to us or any other people or IT people when something fails on it and you can't get your data back. Right? There's nothing finite about this. I mean, there is almost, it's almost completely finite. There's nothing infinite about data and backup that you can rely upon. Every service that's out there right now can change their mind about doing what they're doing at any moment. So if you've got your data sitting on such-and-such such hard drive, and they run out of the ability to pay for their data centers, they're gonna be like, "Hey, you got 30 days. Take your data stuff off of here before it's all gone." You can't trust anything to be there for you, right? In the old days, when you you know you could look at a bank and you put your money in the vault and guess or whatever you're putting in the vault, it's gonna be there, right? <laughs> now, if you put your pictures or your data out out there, the companies can just decide not to exist whenever they want to. The service can go away, the company can go away. The data center can go away. Heck, the windmill power in the power center can turn off. I mean, so what are you going to do? You have to be the person responsible for your data, whether it's in the cloud or what have you. So let's get to your calls. You guys all called us like before the end of the show. You you know we start at 9, right? I don't understand (laughs) what is going on here. Let's go to Jeff in Manchester. And then Carolyn wants to go to break too. So Jeff, what do you got going on? Give me a question and I have to go to a quick break
6: okay uh so i have three laptops that on boot the disk usage is a hundred percent making them unusable yeah and i have run malware bytes and everything is fine i have googled the problem and um tried to apply the fixes that that those options presented Yeah. and i still get 100 percent disk usage i have I have bought three Lenovo's, okay, to replace these yep. three computers, and I've had them running for a month, and I don't have any issues at all with
2: them. What operating system is on these drives that are 100? percent
6: um, Windows 10.
2: All right, hang on a second. We're going to have a quick, quick breaks, and Carolyn will let me come back to you in a minute. Okay, hang on. Hey. Yep. Thank yep. you. All right, we're back. That was fast. Carolyn doesn't mess around. Let's go to back to Jeff in Manchester. All right, Jeff. So we we'll got some thoughts for you.
0: All right. Okay. Here's here's what I'm going to suggest for you, okay? Um, what you're going to do is open up your services panel, and I'll tell you how to do that. Yeah. You're going to hit uh, Windows R. Yeah. And then you're going to type services.msc, and that's Mary Sam Charlie. Yeah. Enter. Yeah. Now- Uh, You're going to scroll down alphabetically through the list of services. And you're going to look for one called Sysmain, S-Y-S-M-A-I-N. Yeah. You're going to double-click it. Yeah. In the properties panel, you're going to change its status from automatic to manual. Yeah. Yeah. Then you're going to stop the service. There should be a stop button. Yeah. And then you're going to click OK. Yeah. And reboot the computer. Okay. And see if it runs a little better that way. Okay. That is a service that's built into Windows that runs by default. It's called Prefetch. Mm -hmm. And it uses a particular logic to determine what program code you're more likely to run at any given time and it keeps that in memory but it also cycles through that and it will dump back to the hard drive whatever is in excess of its memory cache Mm -hmm. and on some computers with some hard drives it essentially goes into an endless loop where it's continually reading in data, then it fills its buffer, and then it throws it back onto the drive, and then it reads the data back in, and it fills the buffer. and it, it, That's why the thing is pegged at 100%, because it's yeah. just constantly talking to the drive. And we see a lot of this with hybrid drives. Yeah, we see okay. a lot of it with hybrid drives. But it can so that, happen with any magnetic drive.
2: Okay, because
6: uh, on, on, on the Samsung, what I... I got so frustrated what I decided to do is just wipe wipe the whole drive and reinstall Windows you yep. know just to get a fresh copy yeah and rebooted it up and I have the same damn thing
0: yeah so, see, if, so, see if see if see uh, if disable what you're essentially doing is disabling that service okay yeah, yeah. and do it. that may help give that All a right. shot that's the first thing I would do it's very easy to do it's it will not harm the computer. And it very well could fix it.
6: Okay. All right. And that's just initiated by doing a Windows R?
0: Windows R. Okay. And then services.msc. Okay. There all is right. a recording got- of this program. <laughs> you can go li- listen back. It's, uh,
2: we are podcasted, so you can yeah. always listen to it again. I got it all, all, right. I got it all written
6: down, so I'm fairly, I'm fairly confident that I can do that. All well, right. thank you very much. I appreciate your time and help on
2: this.
0: Well, I hope it works. Not a problem whatsoever. All right. Jeff. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye bye.
2: All right, let's move on to Bob in Newington. What's going on here, Bob? What do you got, Bob? Hey, good morning, guys. Morning.
1: Um, about to ready to cut the cord here.
2: Congratulations.
1: Going with the GoNet Speed. Oh my gosh! And I've got three streaming devices. I've got the Apple TV, I got the Roku, and um, Fire Stick. Wow. Now, I got. Um, I have to go in there and make selections of the type of programming I want, say if I need want National Geographic or Sports Channel, and those are, are cost-extra, correct?
2: They can, depending on where you're getting them from.
1: Okay. Um, well, my first question is, is, I know local TV, not all of them, have, you're able to get it uh, local TV on? Yeah. So I, I have a TV antenna, which works great. Okay. Uh, Power outages, I've gone to that many Mm -hmm. times. Yep. But what concerns me is the recording of programs. Uh, I can't lose that, uh, you know, the capability of record programs. What do I have to buy in addition to, you know, the the sticks that I have here?
2: (laughs) So... If you want to do recording of programs on your antenna, you need some sort of TiVo device, which TiVo does still, I think, exist. Uh, we used to love TiVo, and it does offer DVRing of live. It had the ability to do DVR of the live antenna. Or,
1: what about the 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 K, the, uh, the Roco sticks?
2: Well they're just they might have this capability but I doubt it. They're just recording? No. Yeah, they're just boxes that are going to give you the apps that you can then run your stream on. So like YouTube TV for example has its own DVR capabilities. You can DVR anything that's running on oh, the yeah. YouTube, yeah, on YouTube TV. Check them out. Oh, okay. Um and then that way you won't even need the antenna. You'll just have your local stations through YouTube TV. It's about 69 bucks a month. It's a lot of it's a lot of channels. If you're a Red Sox or Yankees fan, you're going to be really cranky because they you can't watch the games. No.
1: Nope. So so how do you record? Do you, you need a separate device? No,
2: to no. Record? You just tell it to. It's in the cloud. It's out there oh, wow. on the it's out there in the cloud for you, and oh. uh, it's easy to get. You can get anywhere anywhere. So uh, I'm running out of time, of course, but okay. um, that's where I would tell you to look at you look at YouTube TV and look at the DVR functions, and you'll see it's all part of the service. Thanks. All right, Bob. I know. Bye bye. I want to thank all you guys joining us on this lovely Saturday morning. I want to thank Carolyn for producing. I want to thank Mike G for doing everything live. I want to thank Wes Bryan for joining us from IT Pro TV. Check it out if you want to become a geek. We want you to be geeks too. See you next Saturday.
0: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours